walking through Advent, looking at these big themes of the Christmas season. And I got to thinking a lot about this idea of joy. You know, as followers of Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, we are meant to live a life that is filled with joy. 100%. It is no secret that every follower of Jesus was meant to live a life of joy. So right now, there's a rub, though, because some of you right now are going, yep, I understand. That's the life I'm supposed to live. That is not the life I'm living at present, right? Anybody do what I did yesterday, which I didn't have a very joyful day because I got started buying the Christmas list. When did Legos start to be $150 for a Lego set? Anybody else? When I was a kid, Lego sets were just bricks, and they were like 12 bucks. And you built your own thing. Now it's like whole cities pre-made for you. And they're $150. I'm like, really? That's, that's, there was no joy yesterday while I was buying those gifts. <laughs> I think we get to Christmas and we think of Advent. And the idea of joy can be elusive, can't it? And yet as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to have joy. There's this passage, this interaction with Jesus that I think starts to explain not only what joy is, but how do we achieve that thing? It's found in John chapter 16, and it's Jesus walking with his disciples. And um, he, he gives them a bit of a riddle. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 16 when he says, Now in a little while, you're going to see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Now the disciples, the Bible tells us, were confused. They were whispering among themselves, what does he mean in a little while we're not going to see him anymore? And then after a little while, we'll see, he'll see me because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking this, right? What does he mean? Now, you know, Jesus did this all the time. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus asks questions, 180 some questions in scripture, literal questions he asks, poses these Ideas, these riddles. Do you know of those 187 questions, how many he goes on to answer? Three. This is what he does. He just throws these things out there and everybody starts talking about it and they turn around and he's gone, right? This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Except on this one, he sees, the Bible tells us, that they're asking about it. So he says to them, are you guys asking one another what I meant? When I said in a little while, you're going to see me no more. And then after a little while, you're going to see me. I tell you, now listen to what he says. He goes, let me tell you something, guys. Disciples. And he's talking to us, followers of Jesus. You will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. In other words, you are going to go through sad times. You're going to feel sadness. That's going to happen. He says, You will grieve, but your grief, listen, all this you go through, it is going to turn to joy. And then he gives them this metaphor when he says, as a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, when her baby's born, she forgets the anguish. 
because her joy is in that child that was born into the world. He goes on a few sentences later, and no one will ever be able to take this joy away. He said, look, you're going to go through some tough stuff in life. You're going to mourn. You're going to grieve. It's part of how we walk through this planet. But there is going to be a joy that you're going to find that no one will ever be able to take away from you. He said, just like that baby. I remember, seems like yesterday, you know, the older I get, the more I talk like my parents. Seems like yesterday when we went to that hospital with Daly, our firstborn. And um, I remember how panicked I was. And Chrissy was calm as could be. I'm panicked. I don't, I, guys, I, there, I wasn't doing anything, right? I'm going to stand there. I'm panicked going to deliver our firstborn child. I didn't know what to expect. And on top of that, I've told the story, Chrissy and I didn't have any medical insurance. And so she was already like, listen, I'm going to have this baby for as cheap as possible. And she did not, I'm telling you, that woman does not play. She had no epidural. She didn't even have an Advil. She knew Advils cost like $27 per pill in the hospital. She had nothing we, we had literally been in the hospital for one day. She's like, I'm ready to go because I know. She goes, all I see is dollar bills when I'm sitting in here. We're taking our baby. We're going home. I remember getting home with that little thing. And while I can't represent that Chrissy won't forget the pain, something was born that you can't imagine. The joy that has been wrapped up in that little girl who now is 25 and has her own baby. It's it's hard to describe. This is what Jesus was getting at. And in John 15, he says, I've told you these things, all this stuff, so that you will have joy. And I think it's important to understand because. In our Western context, too often, especially even at this season, we don't describe joy in the way that we should. And we hear it. In fact, at Christmas time, we all know that verse in Luke chapter 2 when it says there were wise men who were out in their field keeping uh, watch over their flocks at night when an angel of the Lord appeared before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And the Bible says that the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. And it'll be for everybody, right? We hear this at Christmas. Joy for everyone. But if you're not experiencing joy, isn't it tempting to wonder, then why am I being left out? Why, why does my life feel so dark and empty? Why isn't stuff going the way? Why am I grieving so much? Dallas Willard, who I respect so much, author, thinker, um, said, says a lot about joy, describes it in a way I think that's important because if you don't understand what joy is, then it's really hard to get to what it is that you're trying to get to. Here's how he describes joy. And I think it's the first sort of step we have to take to understand how do I live in the joy that Jesus promised for all the people? Dallas Willard says this, he says, joy is not pleasure, 
It's not a mere sensation. It is a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. It's not just feeling happy in a moment. It is a pervasive and constant knowledge of well-being. Like, everything's going to be okay. If I were to paraphrase that, joy is, in all things, an overwhelming and constant sense that this is going to be okay. No, no matter where I find myself, this is going to be okay. There's a sense of calm in the storm. It's going to be okay. Joy isn't bouncing off the walls and being happy about everything. It is in any moment being like, this is going to be okay. When you're on a mountaintop, it's going to be okay. When you're in the valley, it's going to be okay. This is joy. There's a constant sense of well-being. And I was reading this week another man that I admire so much, an author from the 1940s. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Christian in Nazi Germany. And in 1942, he was arrested. Um, He had penned a letter, a circular letter. And a circular letter is like what the Apostle Paul would have written to the church, this letter that travels from place to place. He had penned this circular letter to other followers of Jesus during this incredibly painful time in Germany. And in his letter, he says some things that caught my attention this week as I was thinking about that pervasive sense that everything's going to be okay when he says this. The joy of God goes through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. Now think about that. The joy of God starts in the poverty of the manger and ends on the agony of the cross. Two things that oftentimes seem incompatible with joy. The poverty of what that, those, that family, Mary and Joseph, would have experienced, the poverty of that moment, and the death and the agony of the cross. He says, that is why it is invincible and irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish when it is there, but it finds God in the midst of it. In fact, precisely there, It does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but it finds life precisely within it. Joy, this sense that everything is going to be okay. And yet at Christmas, so many times, that's not how life feels. And I got to thinking, why is it that so often, even as followers of Jesus, we walk through life and in any given moment feel like, well, it's just not going to be okay. I don't feel okay. I'm filled with anxiety and frustration and bitterness. And I think oftentimes we make some common mistakes about what we ground our lives in, in the search for joy. And if you make these common mistakes you may find yourself in any given moment not feeling like everything's going to be okay. First mistake, and I think we've all made it, is we've grounded our joy in the people that we know. Now, now let me say something about this. Don't get me wrong. I think having community, being engaged in people's lives, absolutely so important. We are communal creatures, but so often we base our joy in other people. And people will say, Well, when I get a boyfriend, everything's going to be okay. 
When I get a girlfriend, everything's going to be okay. When I get married, everything's going to be okay. If I could only be single now, everything's going to be okay, right? Huh? All the time, based on other people. You hear people say all the time, my boss is stealing my joy. My coworkers stealing my joy. Those kids are stealing my joy, right? Based in other people, our, our joy is based in other people. And what we find out pretty quickly is people let us down often. I sound like a pessimist. I know. I love being connected to human beings. We were meant for it. But I think what Jesus was speaking of and what we see in Dietrich Bonhoeffer and what you find in the writing of Paul throughout Scripture, I mean, all of Philippians, is this man who understood a joy that wasn't based in another human. He had great relationships, but his constant and pervasive sense that everything was going to be okay, what he was grounded in, it wasn't another human being. second mistake we often make is we ground all of our joy. We root it into the things we do. Like if I were to ask you right now, tell me about yourself. And you were to write it or tweet it or send it in. My guess is most of us would do what most of us do. And we begin to describe ourselves by the things that we do. Well, I'm a pharmacist or I'm an accountant or I'm an administrative assistant. Um, I'm a father, I'm a worker. We, we describe ourselves in these things that we do, and, and that makes sense, right? Because much of our lives is the things that we do. We spend eight, nine, ten hours at work, five, six days a week. This is a big part of who we are. And yet, do you notice the Apostle Paul who pens most of the New Testament, when he describes what he's grounded who he is in, it isn't what he does, not that he didn't, he did some amazing things, but the source of his joy, it's going to be okay. It wasn't what, what, what we do, because here's the truth. Anybody who's ever had a career change or lost a job or a blip in what you do, realize how quickly those things can change. One day you're on top of the world doing exactly what you thought you were going to do. And the next day you're like, how did I get here? This isn't what I thought I would be doing. The third thing that I think mistake we make is we base our joy in the stuff we have. And you already know. You're already like, I know it's not based on the stuff we have. It was not, not too long ago, I remember driving in the car, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure you heard about this, but like one of the lotteries got up to like a billion dollars, right? And you did it too. I drove in my car, and I was like, man, what would I do with a billion dollars? I started daydreaming about it. Or you just drive around going, well, I'd probably buy a house here, you know, I'd get this kind of car, I'd probably go on a trip. You're like, man, I'd quit my job and tell my boss how much he has stolen my joy, right? And, and me and my buddy were talking about, like, man, if you won a billion dollars, I'd be pretty awesome. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, it probably doesn't take away all your problems. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, but I'd sure like to try, <laughs> right? I mean, reality is, is that... Um, 
the stuff we have, the just joy doesn't come from that. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 3.8 when he says, I've suffered the loss of all these things. In other words, I've lost it all. I suffered the loss of all these things, and now I understand I count them as rubbish. They don't matter very much is what he's saying. Because I lost everything, and I started realizing that's not what my joy is grounded in. And, you know, it could be money that you grounded in, but there's so many other things that we mistakenly look to for a sense of it's going to be okay. And we numb out sometimes because it's too much. And we think maybe alcohol will bring some joy or praise and applause or achievements or titles. And none of it does bring a pervasive sense of it's going to be okay. I thought, what is it then? What is it that we're all trying to find that the Apostle Paul lays out is for everyone who's a follower of Jesus? And it wasn't until just recently that a light bulb came on for me. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit of a slow learner. I need visual aids. But many of you know that I went to the University of Kansas because that's where I could get in. Um, my son's much smarter than me, and... Uh, He chose to go to the University of Kansas. He's a sophomore there this year. And you may not know this, but in March of this previous year, my Jayhawks played for a national championship. Now, I got to tell you, I was so excited about this game. You know, this was late March, early April. And um, playing for a national championship, when you root for the teams that I root for, when one of them finally wins, you're real excited, right? Right, Bears fans? So I'm so excited that one of my teams is playing for a national championship. So I invite everybody over to the house. I make my famous guacamole. I mean, it's going to be a party. And I'm quite convinced Kansas is going to roll North Carolina. It's over. So you can imagine the deep despair that I was in when at halftime, Kansas was down by more than like 10. It was high double digits. It was so bad that I literally was like, you have to be, you can't come back from this. And I did what good sports fans do. I just turned the TV off and kicked everybody out of my house. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Party's over. All joy is lost. I don't have anything, right? So I'm cleaning up the kitchen and I'm frustrated. Now, you, you got to know, man, like, this was a big night. I'm super frustrated. Like, Kansas lose. I, guys, why is it? Not, not just fellas. I know some of you ladies, you really care about sports, too. Why is it that it ruins our whole week, right? You know, you, I don't, something's wrong with us. But either way, I'm like, this is going to ruin my whole week. I'm cleaning up the kitchen. I'm putting, I'm throwing my guacamole away, you know. It's so defeated. 45 minutes of cleaning up. When I get a text, my son texts me. And it was, can you believe it? Like, what is he? I thought he was sad like I was, right? Like, yeah, I know, stinks. So I just kept cleaning the kitchen, feeling sorry for myself, as if I'm somehow I'm on the team, you know? Just cleaning the kitchen and sweeping up. I get another text, and he's like, this is unreal. I'm like, I know, this is unreal. This stinks. And then 
maybe 10 minutes later, he sends this picture of him on Mass Avenue with a throng of people. They were all like happy and celebrating. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with these people? Why, we just lost, what is happening? And then he said, we did it. And again, this is how slow I am. I went, wait a minute, did, did, did we win that game? So I go over to the TV and I push the power button and I have um, one of these streaming services that wherever I push the power off, it pauses the game right there. So when the game comes up, it's paused. We're down 18 points, right? I looked at my phone. I'm like, wait a minute, we won the game? How do we we win the game? Now, let me tell you, when I'm watching games I care about, it is the most exhausting affair of my life. Anybody else? I can't sit down. My hands are sweaty. I I, I literally, I just, I pace. I pace back and forth watching TV. This is me for like, for like two hours. It's exhausting. I work harder than the players. I'm convinced of it. That's a normal game. I realized that Kansas had pulled off an unbelievable comeback. I took my remote. I hit play from that point. I went and sat down on the couch. I didn't pace. I didn't stress. I didn't get mad when he kicked the ball out of bounds. Wasn't angry when he threw it away. Never got mad when he missed an easy layup. I was never upset. I was like, oh, it's, it's going to be fine. It's, oh, it's fine. doesn't matter. That was the most pleasurable game-watching experience of my life because I knew how it ended, right? I knew we won. Like, all the pressure came off. I was like... This is so great. I mean, these kids, aren't they great? I mean, it didn't matter what mistakes they made. I was just happy. I knew we won. And and it dawned on me. It dawned on me. That knowing how something ends, it changes the way you experience that thing. Right? Like when you know how it ends, it changes how you experience that thing. And then I started understanding Oh, wait a minute. That's what the Apostle Paul means. Well, see, I'm not. I get caught up with this moment, with, with, with these issues. I get caught up with this weight, with the brokenness, with my brokenness, with whatever it is. I get so stuck here that I forget. Oh, I know how this thing ends. Oh, see. See, I know what Jesus did and what that secures for me. I I lose sight of that. And, and, And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He's going, listen, listen, let me keep reminding you how this game ends. I know where you think you are. I know what it feels like right now. It's halftime, you're down 18. But let me promise you, it isn't gonna end that way. It isn't going to end that way. Trust me, it doesn't end that way. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. He says, listen, I got to convince myself over and over that nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing, 
Nothing's going to get. This end game, I'm connected to him. It's me and him. And death can't get in the way of that. Life can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. I mean, he's preaching to himself. He's saying nothing can get in the way. Whether it's high and above of the sky or the deepest ocean, nothing can get in the way. And here's what's crazy. He, he says this because he says, I want to have up there come down here, right? He says, I know you, you face these circumstances. I'm trying to help you understand. In the end, joy wins. In the end, joy wins. And if joy hasn't won yet, it's not yet the end. In the end, joy wins. And I know some of us this morning, Mary, I know. We sit in a space and we go, our heart hurts. But because of Jesus, in the end, death doesn't win. In the end, you can take this mortal body, but I'll be with him forever. I'll be with him forever. And all the people we've lost, they're there too. In the end, in the end, in the end, joy wins. We know how it ends. We know how it ends. And when we know how it ends, man, oh man, it changes how I live in this moment, doesn't it? He is faithful. All he has ever been is faithful. And he will be faithful. And he will be faithful on this planet. And he will be faithful in the end. This is my Jesus. This is why he came in the squalor and died on the cross so that in the end we would win. And this is the great promise of Advent, of joy, not grounded in things that are temperamental or superficial or go away. It's grounded in the one thing that is and always will be, Jesus, in him forever. And if you don't know him, here's what's beautiful. You can. Like It's like, Man, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to have some joy like that. Oh, you can know this God that will give you heaven forever. Like you can know him today. It's pretty simple. Like you don't have to do a whole lot. The Bible tells us like confess with your mouth that you're broken. That's pretty easy. Give your life to him. Know that he loves you. Know that you've been separated from him. Commit your life. Walk with him. He'll walk with you. I'm telling you, in the end, joy wins. In the end, joy wins wins. In the end, joy wins. And if that's all you got to say when you're walking through these seasons, when it feels like life's come up against you, when it feels like everything is pulling you down, when it feels like you can't get out of this darkness, you need to know if joy hasn't won, then it ain't the end. He's going to win. Joy's going to win. Joy's going to win. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a song about this good God who loves us so much that he sent his only son so that you and I could have life on this planet and heaven forever. And that is someone you can know this day, this Advent, this Christmas. Let's worship together.